spoiler alert. If you do not want this film ruined, do not proceed. There's spoilers galore. You have been warned. Welcome to Talk Classic to Me, the classic film podcast and movie club where I, Sarah Greenfield, your host and classic film enthusiast, bring in my entertaining friends to talk about classic movies or any other old-fashioned form of media that strikes my fancy. On today's show, we are talking about the film Seven Brides for Seven Brothers from 1954 with my wonderful guest, Zoe Palco. Hello! Zoe, hi! Hi! Hi, can you hear me okay? I can hear you perfectly. Oh, friend, thanks for doing this with me. I'm so excited. Okay, so um, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. I'm very excited to be here. We watched the film Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Oh, yes. Um, Can we do a quick plot summary of the film for listeners at home who might not have seen it? Definitely. If I had to describe the plot of this movie, I would say, picture it. Oregon, 1850. Oregon, 1850. I'm sorry I called it Oregon. It's not Oregon Trail. (laughs) It's Oregon, the state. Okay. So, men are abundant. Women are scarce. And they want the women folk to settle down with the men folk and make everything civilized. And there's this woman, Millie, who's like, but I want to be in love. And then she's played by Jane Powell. Yes. Best way to fall in love is to meet somebody for two and a half seconds and then love them forever. So she clearly gets the concept real good. She has to know it in her gut. It's a gut feeling, right? So she sees this strapping man, Adam Pontipi, who's like, I've come into town for a wife. And the, the people in the store are like, you're not going to get a wife. That doesn't work this way. And he's like, but I will, because I said I will, and I'm a confident man with a good head of hair. That's like the one thing he has going for him. So yes, Millie played by Jane Powell, meets Adam Pontipi, played by Howard Keel, and in about five seconds is like, yes, this is the man I'm going to marry and fall in love with. And he does not tell her that he has six brothers at home who she will also be caring for, because that's how this shit works. First of many great decisions. First of many great decisions. So they go back to um, his homestead in Oregon in 1850, and... (laughs) They, it's out in the wilderness, and he's got six animal brothers, and Millie quickly realizes she has made a huge mistake, Yeesh. but she loves him still, you know. So through many adventures and events, she civilizes these brothers and gets them to see that they would also like a wife and a family. And when they go out into the town and they meet these women that they want to fall in love with and have babies with, things don't quite work out. And so they decide through Adam's horrible advice to repeat the actions of the Sabine women in Rome and kidnap them and start an avalanche so no one can get through the pass to get to their homestead and keep them there and make them marry them. And it all turns out okay. Everyone ends up happy. So that's the film. And there's great (laughs) dance numbers along the way. So there we did it. The plot overview. There you go. You don't even need to watch the movie now. You know it. Truly a feminist masterpiece. Now, you, we had texted so many thoughts. Please share. What were some thoughts that you had? Well, I mean, as you stated, it definitely is the movie that the Me Too movement clearly is overlooked because it is the movie of our time. I mean, it it just, it stirred my soul. It filled me with so much. Not, no, never rage. No. Mm -mm. Somebody say rage? No. No one, no one said rage. No rage. Mm -mm, Not at all. (laughs) So yeah, this movie's made Mm -hmm. in 1954, right? 
they want uh, the message of like women being in the home to be a thing that's mm. spread throughout America. But here's the question. I wrote down this question as I was watching it. And I was thinking like, this movie is so terrible, but why do I love it so much? Because I love this movie. I can watch it over and over again. I enjoy it so much. So it's like, what about this movie keeps intelligent feminists returning Maybe to much it? much like the abducted women, they, they somehow found themselves in a society that, you know, just brainwashes. Maybe that you saw it as a child. See, I, this is the first time I saw it was just now. I just finished it before getting on this call. And... I mean, the fact is at the end, they literally were reading the Sabine women, which by the way, the real title is The Rape of the Sabine Women. And no one was like, that's, that's troublesome, right? Is that a word I know? Rape? Yeah, I think it might be. I think it has negative connotations. <laughs> and they're like reading it over, like, like love the story. They love it. It's like, we've read that book three times already. I'm bored of it. It's like, no, what's their, like, no, Dorcas, read it again. P.S. Dorcas is <laughs> maybe the best character in the entire film. Well, do you know who Dorcas is? Do you know who that actress is? No. That's Miss Julie Newmar. So, <laughs> you know, Tu Wong Fu, thanks for everything, mm -hmm. Julie Newmar. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. That's, she's Catwoman. That's Catwoman right there in See, her early days. I knew she had some, like, get it, get it in there. Plus, she's the only one who was like, girls, I am horny as fuck. Laying on that bed being like, which boy you think is this bed? It's like, yeah, girl, get it. She is very sexual, very sexy. And I think it's funny that the brother that she ends up with is also the hottest brother. Like, oh, they are no by question. far the hottest oh, yeah. couple. Far and um, away. By far. But I also want to bring this up. So we're going to get into all the dancing and all the musical numbers because that's what this is about. Up but yours. she ends up with uh, Jeff Richards. I think that's his name. He plays Benjamin. And so Stanley Donnan, the great Stanley Donnan, who directed so many movie musicals that we love, you know, Singing in the Rain, mm. what else? Funny Face, It's Always Fair Weather. He directed all these beautiful musicals. He directed this. And he had this vision of like, dancing brothers so they were gonna all be dancers and they got five out of seven we've got howard keel who sings he does not need to dance but the studio really wanted jeff is it, i'm gonna look it up jeff richards or jeff richardson i love that i'm looking at my notes and i wrote oh no several times <laughs> jeff richards okay and i've seen this movie i should be clear i own this on dvd i bought this on dvd when we lived together in chicago one million oh. years ago Nice. I have loved this movie for so long, but <laughs> once you see this, you can't unsee it. Jeff Richards, uh, mm. the studio really wanted him to be on the project because they wanted to promote him and like have him become a star, but he cannot dance at all. And so I guess Stanley Donnan eventually let him in, but like was really pissed about it. And so if you watch all the scenes where everyone's dancing, he's always in the back. Um, and he's not dancing. And then there's oh. a scene when they're doing the going courting song and they're all dancing around. They put mm -hmm. him in the corner and he's clapping and he's off the beat. And it's <laughs> just the saddest like white boy thing. And then the big barn raising dance, like the hugest uh. musical number ever. If you look, him and Julie Newmar are in the back and all the other brothers are doing that head thing with their girls where they like do the opposite head thing. And he can't even, he can't even do that. <laughs> and they put a bunch of people standing in front of that. It, so that's what they do at every scene. In the, the Lonesome Polecat number, they gave him responsibility. He, like, had to have the axe at a certain time doing something. And 
Oh boy. But yeah, it's hilarious when you start to notice that, that it's like everyone can dance and then there's that one brother that's just hot that can't do anything. That's why they had him fighting in the beginning because that's all he could do. <laughs> nothing else. Now I'm going to watch it over again and I'm going to like look for that. And I feel like that if you want to like put it into the plot, further proves my theory that all the brothers have severe brain damage from fighting all the time because they don't have very good cause effect sense at all. It's like, what would I do wrong, Millie? It's like, well, you accosted three individuals in the middle of town and now they're passed out over a, over like a railing. So you that's not good. broke glass. Went through a window. You're going to have to pay for that now. I kept thinking that. How do they pay for all their damages? They have so many damages. And I just kept thinking, like, how are you going to pay for that? You don't seem to have a lot of money, you backwoodsman, you. I think they just create an avalanche every time something bad happens. And then no one can go through to their homestead. So they're like, eh, those crazy woodsmen. And I do love the redheaded choice. That's a strong, bold yeah. choice. It's a strong ginger choice. It separates them. It differentiates them from the other men in town who are all brunettes, weirdly enough. Did you notice that? Strong, bold choice. And, 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 and like, kudos to them. Breaking those stereotypes. Because how many times of the redheaded fella have never the lead, never the romantic choice? So the one thing that this movie does do very well is give justice to the redheaded men out there. And every time a redheaded man is like, well, prejudice, I'd be like, well, have you seen Seven Brides or Seven Brothers? Because there you go. Strong, virile. There you Those go. Those are the two defining traits in this film of a redheaded man. I mean, they have brain damage, but they're very strong men. I want to tell you all about certain things in this film that I found out yesterday that I'm very excited about. Also, that story I just told you, the reason I know that story is because Kyle and I, like a decade ago, uh, watched this movie together at the Music Box in Chicago. Nice. And it was a special TCM event where Robert Osborne was there. He was the host of TCM. And he mm. interviewed Jane Powell and they talked about the movie. And so they gave us a lot of juicy tidbits. And that was uh. one of them about Jeff Richards. So we could appreciate it. Yeah, because I had noticed that when I watched it before, like, why isn't that brother dancing? But I didn't really think about it. It was just like, huh. And then when they said that, and then he was the one that pointed out the clapping. So now when I watch it. He's like, look at that moron back there. Yeah, he's hot, but look at that moron. He couldn't fucking dance. Can't even find the rhythm. A little bitter. Can't even, no rhythm at all. Okay. Anyway, so that's how I found that out. I also found out through that interview that Jane Powell's favorite song was When You're In Love. Someone asked her, what's your favorite song to, that you sang in this film? And she said it was When You're In Love. Well, and, she sings like two of them, right? And there you go. Yeah. Well, she has two songs <laughs> that to me, I know this is going to sound mean. Well, let's just get into it. So I think the reason that this musical never totally took, it, it took off. It's a huge hit. But I think it never could transfer to Broadway or to stage very well because the songs are too generic. I totally agree. You forget Like, them. I'm trying to remember any of them, and I just kind of start doing the, mm, but, um, mm, no, nothing. Yeah. Like, I can't, I literally just watched it. The only one that I kind of remember is the very first one about, I, you know, wife, I'm gonna look at her like cattle. Where is she? Um, woman for me. That's all I got. I wrote down the lyrics to that song because they were fucked up. Bless your beautiful hide is that song. That's what it is. Yeah, um, that's what, see, I couldn't remember. Bless your beautiful hide, wherever it may be. 
that I'll probably end up beating. Like that's kind of like the undertone. That's great. Thank goodness it didn't. She, I do love that he said he was looking for a sassy woman though. Very true. He's so he's judging women as they walk past him. And he's like, she's too little. She's too fat. This one's the perfect size. And she just pushed off a groper. That's my wife. I also love how he's like, no, can't, she's not too skinny. I'm like, she is so skinny. <laughs> how much, what would too skinny be? What would too skinny be, sir? Like, she is the thinnest woman I've ever seen. And she has a corset on. And he's like, yeah. not too skinny. And they kept trying to do the 50s thing where they like put air on the top of her bust to push it out, you know, that costuming thing. And I'm like, just let her be. Don't just oh, yeah. let it be. Why are you doing oh, this, yeah. costumers? Don't oh, do yeah. this to her. No. We've gone down this rabbit hole because it's just so perfect. And now I'm like, where were we even starting? <laughs> oh, the Jane Powell thing. It was the songs. It was the songs. Right. How they're all generic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's why this never, that's why this works great as a movie musical because it's fun. The songs are short. They get to the point. Yeah. But they don't stay with you. I have seen this movie so many times and I can barely sing you the songs, you know? So that, oh, yeah. I think that's very telling of, of why this could never really make it on stage and why it only really works in the movies. Mm-hmm. Don't you no, think? No, I agree. Yeah, I didn't even remember the first one. I was like, oh yeah, I kind of remember the first one. And then I went, the, the woman with the look in it, you still couldn't. Yeah, you remember the moments. It's like, I remember, so he's singing about the wife he wants. You remember that? Yeah. You remember mm-hmm. the moments. She's excited to be finally married and her dreams are coming true. Oops, maybe they're not. Maybe maybe not the best decision. Maybe not the best choice. Maybe. I love her explanation too where she's like, well, when he asked me to marry him and I was milking that cow, which might have been a puppet, I can't tell. No, she was milking the cow. She was she was so excited. She's like, I, I, I didn't feel that sinking feeling of depression like I did with the other boys. So it's totally fine. And the only thought I had was like, wow, you must really hate your life. I don't want to like die inside. So I guess this is love. Well, also I was thinking no one was allowed to have attraction for other people. So she sees this hot dude, is attracted to him, and is like, well, I guess this physical yearning is love. Much like Dorcas with Benjamin coming up. Mm, but yeah, I, if, if this had been today and she was allowed to explore her sexuality, maybe they just would have had some good sex and gone their separate ways. Right? He's like, I could court you and make me wait for two years, but you know, why? what's stopping me now? Just, just Is your, your pride, pride going to get in the way? Oh, God. And she's like, yeah, all right. That's, that's fair. Why get to know you? Why get to know you? Why figure out if you're going to beat me or if I'm going to a hellhole or if you live in a hovel? It's fine. Also, those people, the people that let her go, too. You're like, um, that's it? Yep. In the living room. In the parlor. Didn't change. Nothing. It's like, all if right. If this wasn't a musical, this would have been a very horrible start to a horrible story. You know? But because it's a musical, they're all saved, thank goodness. And thank goodness she was right in that gut feeling, and they really did fall in love at first sight, and it's really possible. To be fair, Adam is the worst. That's what I wrote, Zoe, word for word. The worst. He's the worst. (laughs) He is the worst. He's toxic masculinity incarnate walking around. We can go back. It's like going scene by scene, I feel like, is what this movie deserves. But I will say (laughs) that, like... His brother's finally civilized, right? Mm -hmm. So they're not, like, breaking each other's noses every day. 
should be a good thing, right? Higher productivity on the farm. You're going to get more shit done. You're going to be richer, like all good things. Right. And then he goes to the dance and he's like, you all are, you're whipped by a woman. Let's go start some fights. And it's like, no dude, business sense, man. Come on. Like, this is a good, if, if they get wives, that's more people on your farm to work for you as free labor. They will then have children to expand your farm into a whole creepy commune, which I think is really what you want. So like, there's no business sense there. Come on. You made such a good point that I had never thought about. Yes, because what Millie wants is community. This film really is just about wanting community and a place to call home within your community. When you get down to it, that's what it's really about. Anyway, but yes, you make a great point, which is that he doesn't see that this could be a community for himself, not just the way yeah. Millie wants it, but to make more money. Adam, get your shit together. None of them think ahead. You make so many great points. If he had just been thinking, mm -hmm. and the whole sissies thing was bullshit. When, you know, you're all sissies, and I'm like, no, they're behaving like proper humans. However, right? I do think that the other men that were hurting them should have been held accountable, obviously. You shouldn't be able to throw a hammer at someone's head. They were being pretty big dicks. Pretty big yes. dicks. That's fine. But then, okay, it's not like an all or nothing, right? Like, you could, like, be like, oh, I'm so sorry that I put my hand where your hammer went. Like, there's a difference between that and, like, let's just tear the whole barn down. Killing many people in the town, by the way. Heavy lumber falling from great heights. If you look at the carnage <laughs> of that as they zoom out, and it's yeah. like all the walls topple down, and there's, like, legs splayed out underneath it's like death. You just killed all the eligible men in town. Like you just killed so many men in town, but luckily there's apparently so many men that it's fine. So they, they can afford to then kill more men as the plot develops. Like I pretty much, I feel like Adam is inadvertently killing many, many men in town. He's a monster. He's an instigator and a monster for sure. He's a monster. He's the worst. Um, which is actually really interesting that we're saying all this because what I found out that I did not know before this was that this movie was written by women. Oh boy. Yes, it's written by um here. It's written by Frances Goodrich and her husband Albert Hackett, who were like a husband wife team. And then they hired a fixer to come in named Dorothy Kingsley, who I I didn't know about these people before, and I probably should have, but I watch the movies. You don't always taken every aspect of it right the nerve of you sarah so francis goodrich and albert hackett wrote the thin man the, the scripts for them because dashiell hammett wrote the thin man but they wrote the screenplay they wrote easter parade they wrote father of the bride oh my um, god they've been, they've been around they were like a very nice team and then they sound pretty cool like she sounds really cool and so he was nine years younger than her and she had already been married twice Get it, girl. and she was like a sassy lady and they loved each other and they were married until she died in the 80s and i i love that story and they were friends with elizabeth taylor that makes a lot of sense because she was in that father of the bride okay that tracks that track. that yeah, so i was like wait father of the bride 1990 they wrote it she's dead she did not write this 1984 <laughs> her ghost, the ghost came coming back. back i need to finish my work speaking of ghosts Dorothy Kingsley wrote Angels in the Outfield. So Dorothy Kingsley was the writer that came in. So apparently <laughs> she was this fixer in Hollywood. I had no idea she existed. And they would hire her without giving her credit all the time. And she was known to come in and fix the plot of your movie if something wasn't working. Like she was supposed to be a genius at that. 
I shudder to think what this movie was before she came. So apparently what she brought into this was, hold on. I think I wrote it down. Yes. Are you ready for this? Oh, Stanley Donnan called me in and I looked at the script and said, the big trouble in the original short story is that Howard Keel's character is the one that tries to get all of these boys married off. And that's not right. The girl has nothing to do and she's got to be the one to engineer all this stuff. That was changed around and seemed to please everyone. And we went from there. So it's essentially like Millie, having Millie be such an influence and having Millie be the main character. Because right. without Oh, her, yeah. Because if that wasn't there, yeah. oof. Right? Yeah. And she gets top credit, too. And it makes sense for her to want to get these boys married, <laughs> like, darning all so their she socks. she needs more. So she's like, motherfucker, get some more women in here. Jesus Christ. Like, all I can picture is her when she's, like, walking around the hall, be like, this is how you flirt with a girl. This is how you do it. She's like frantically being like, Jesus, God, please, please just be nice enough and don't hit anybody to get a goddamn wife so I can get out of this hellhole and darn all your socks all the time. But in the 1950s, the way I choose to watch this scene is that like, oh, she finally has a family. She's an orphan in the world. And these people really feel like her brothers. Yes, very proud of those brothers, which is why Adam is the worst. They listen, they grow, they change, they respect her, they learn from her in many ways. Mm Mm-hmm. They're like her little children. Her little children. When she's tending to them, that's what I was thinking. Exactly. Oh, look at that. They're like your kids. You shouldn't have to do this, but yeah. So that's the 1950s version. But yeah, if this was like made today, the dark version is like maybe a horrible, like there are a lot of horrible places that could go. But yeah, so thank God some women were involved in this though, thinking to add the woman's perspective. I can't imagine Mm -hmm. what this would be without it. There'd be a lot of men. Yeah. I do like how strong she is, though. Jane Powell is strong as fuck in this movie. Yes, I agree. And she has top billing. She tipped over a table. She tipped over a wooden log Mm -hmm. table. And I'm like, respect. That is great. I mean, the key word Howard Keel uses when describing her is sassy. And he says it's a good thing. So that's the one thing Mm -hmm. Adam has that's decent in the beginning is he can appreciate some sass. She is sassy. To be fair, though, he left because she was sassy as well, though. Yeah. <laughs> and then he's like, she she doesn't have any pride. Like, she, you know, like, she just needs to ask me back. And then her brother is like, no, she has pride. Just because she agreed to marry you, indicating that she has none. Shocker, she does, actually. And she's not going to ask you back. Yeah. So you got come back. Well, yeah, you're right. By the way. He's cool with her being sassy to other people, but when she's sassy to him, he doesn't know how to handle it because he doesn't know how to reflect inward. None of it. Plus, he is kind of a drama queen because when she's like, you can't, I'm not going to share the bed with you. He's like, oh, okay, I'm going to go sleep in this tree. It's like, drama queen, there's a barn. Go sleep in the barn. You don't need to sleep in no goddamn tree. Also, I would never have let him back in. I'd be like, you want to sleep in a tree? Sleep in a tree. But we're also not 18 because presumably she's like 18 or 19. True. Right? Yes. Presumably. And then she she is attracted to him for some inexplicable reason. His behavior has not repulsed her. He's pretty hot. He's pretty hot. So yeah, I guess that's the thing. We made poor choices at 18 and 19. If 18 or 19-year-old us had to choose based on our hormones, mm-hmm. we might right. make a poor And maybe she choice. really has a distaste for brown-haired men. So she's like, well, I guess this is my only other option. There were times, too, when it felt a little Semitic. When I was like, right? okay, are oh you God, purposely making to these people look Jewish? <laughs> like, what's so- wrong with you? I was concerned about it a little. I was like, please don't so hate. (laughs) Like, what is wrong with this picture? 
I think I'm hoping it was just they wanted two very different looks. Just really, you wanted to really be able to tell the brothers from everyone else. Red hair, yeah. primary colored shirts, like very clear. No, who's on what team? Primary color shirts are my most favorite costume. I don't know, and not ever. I can't say ever, but what one of the most iconic and best costume choices. The girls in the gingham dresses and the boys in their colored shirts. Because they're meant to be. Red, orange, yellow, green. They share a similar color palette, so they need to mate. I always think like a primary color as a shirt. I always think of like high school productions because I feel like they never have any budget. So the directors are all like, let's just all wear your multicolored shirts and show choir. You're going to wear white pants with white shoes. Good luck finding those in the 90s and 2000s. And you're going to wear a, a rainbow solid color top. I actually um, did something I shouldn't have done and I chose turquoise. Because, like, that's not a primary color, Zoe. And I'm like, tough. I stood up for myself. I was so proud of myself as my, my 15-year-old show choir person. My last name was Greenfield, so I was like, wouldn't it be so clever? I was wearing green. Whoa. Dude, they, do you think they got it? I mean, it's pretty... It's I don't concept. know. I hope they did. It's, <laughs> it's like, really smart. <laughs> also, I'm sure the store had a green shirt, and that was it, too. Done. Like, there's one. Get it. Yay. All right, so... Where were on. we? I have all, so it's like, I want to do a, a both of things where it's like... I give all the educational things I yes. just learned, but then we also have conversation and I'm still working on the balance of that. So I want to talk about the director for a minute, Stanley Donnan. He's a okay. fucking legend. Do Great. you know who Stanley Donnan is? No, but maybe if you listen to other movies, I will. I don't know names, but I've seen lots of old timey movies. So Stanley Donnan, who some people say Donan because that's how it's spelled, but I think it's pronounced Donnan. That's what I've always heard. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep saying Stanley Donnan because that sounds correct to me. Um, so he, his whole story that I also did not know until yesterday, because I knew he was a director and frequent collaborator of Gene Kelly, didn't know how they met. They met lovers. because he, they were lovers. They met because they were lovers. <laughs> that made me so no. happy if that was true. <laughs> that would be great. That'd be beautiful. No, he was a dancer and he worked in the chorus of Pal Joey, which was Gene Kelly's big break on Broadway. So they met in that production and that's, that was like in 1941-ish, 1940-ish. And that started a collaboration for the rest of their lives. Like, they worked together on so many things. Oh, they love each other. They love each other. They directed Singing in the Rain together. They So his directing credits are this. Singing in the Rain, Charade, which is one of my oh, favorite movies. Love right? that movie. Charade, the greatest Hitchcock film Hitchcock never made. That's exactly. Mm. Uh, funny it. Face, Damn Yankees, It's Always Fair Weather, Give a Girl a Break, which I secretly love. It's so cheesy and I really love it. Royal Wedding, On the Town, Pajama Game, directed all those. So Damn. the heyday of the Golden Age musical. He's got it down. Yeah. Well, nice. Jane Powell's in this because of Royal Wedding. She, let's cut ahead to Jane Powell. Jane Powell, <laughs> young lass whose career was over by 27 because they would only let her play teenagers and not be like a woman. Um, or 28, one of those two. She was young when they were like, you're out. Um, <laughs> I mean, 28's almost 30. I mean, you're done. Come on, get out of Hollywood. You get out of here. You don't exist. Um, but so she was in a bunch of movies, but she was in Royal Wedding because who else was supposed to be in it? Let's see. Oh, she replaced June Allison. Do you know who that is? She's like a star from the 40s. She was in some stuff. Not Ooh. super famous by today's standards, but she was famous then. She got pregnant, couldn't be in it. And she replaced Aww. Judy Garland, who had to leave 
for you know the Judy Garland personal yeah. reasons. So it yeah. must have been like an addiction yeah. moment or something. You know. uh, so oh, because geez. two people left the project, she got that project, Royal Wedding with Fred Astaire, and that's what propelled her to be able to do this movie. Huh. Good yeah, for her, Stanley Donna. So good for her. <laughs> All right. So yeah, there's Jane Powell. She was born in 1929. I wrote. Uh, she remember that movie a couple weeks ago that Kyle watched with the weird Robin song. Yes. That's her singing it. Oh, yeah. good for That's her. That's Jane Powell. <laughs> Three daring daughters. I mean, she does have a beautiful voice. She has a beautiful voice. That's her real voice, too. I was wondering that when I was watching it. I was like, is that, you're such a little person. Good job yeah. having such a big, beautiful voice. I think, um, if I remember correctly, at the conversation that Kyle and I heard at the Music Box Theater in, like, 2010, um, maybe 2011, we don't know. She was talking about how she was, like, discovered pretty young, and she was in, like, that MGM school mm. for, like, the young people. Yeah, so Elizabeth cool. Taylor was her friend and in her class. <laughs> she started so young and was so groomed to do this that I think she probably was done pretty early, too, when she realized she didn't have to do this anymore. <laughs> you know? Good God, I'm done. I'm tired. I'm yeah. almost 30, for God's sakes. Yeah, because she had a couple of kids, and I think she was like, you know what? I think I'm over show business. Like, the hours suck, and you're treated like... I'm sure she's treated, yeah. I'm sure she's treated super well. Yeah. I wrote, she married a figure skater, so that's fun. She's still alive. She was married to child star Dickie Moore from 1988 to 2015. Good old Dickie. He passed away. He was a child star in our gang, apparently. Didn't know that. Yeah, it's too oh oh it's too bad MGM didn't capitalize more on her comedic side was what a critic wrote because apparently she was funny. Oh, I can kind of see that watching this. I feel like she had some good like timing of stuff if they gave her yeah. some more to work with. Yeah, she had moments in Royal Wedding where she was like funny and sassy, and they just didn't utilize it. But she was in musical comedies. She just wasn't like the funny person. She's an ingenue and has an ingenue voice. That makes a lot of sense. To right. Me. So you can't be funny. Can't be blonde and funny. No, it's impossible unless you're Marilyn Monroe. Unless you were Alice in this movie, because Alice is pretty funny. <laughs> well, but she's not funny on purpose. That she's poor not funny. Lady. I really like she. The moment I saw her, I'm like, oh my god, you are Kristen Wiig's character with the little hands. I just want her to go do 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 do. Like that's all I wanted her to do the entire time. So wait, let's play this game. Who is your favorite of the girls, and who is your favorite of the brothers? Besides well, Millie, obviously. Well, I think obviously Catwoman speaks yes, to my heart. She's... Yeah, so Dorcas for sure. Although Alice is a close, close second. Alice just, she was a little gem that I always wanted to go back to for more. I want to know Alice's backstory. Like, how did you get, Are you're not her sister, but you lived in the same house with the preacher. So you're like sister, with the impression I get. So like, how did you get there? Where's your family? Oh, did no, the she's, preacher... I think she's the daughter of the preacher. She's the daughter, but Jane Powell's character is an orphan. She doesn't have any parents. Got it. So they, so, okay, guys. I thought they were both like orphan kind of thing. And the preacher like takes in the orphans because oh. he's a big old creep. Oh. I, AKA maybe a very nice man. That was my I thought thought. That was her dad. That totally makes sense too. I went with the creepier side, but that's how I live my life. I also think it's fitting that she ends up with like the loopiest, silliest brother. Like they are the most perfect match. So beautiful. Like obviously. besides Dorcas and Benjamin, there's the sexy match. Dorcas and Benjamin, they're gonna have the best sex ever. They're the power couple of this whole situation. Oh yeah. Yep. And then there's like the silly goofy couple, which is Russ Tamblin, who's Riff and West Side Story. Did you recognize him? No, but that story? makes sense. Yep. Nice. Uh, so that's him. 
Um, I think my favorite one, I had to look up her name because I think what's fucked up about this movie is you leave knowing the brothers' names but not these girls' names. I had to look it up um, and like pause it. I paused you know, it when they you said You know Dorcas for sure. Dorcas, you, you know Dorcas. You know Dorcas. You don't forget Dorcas. And you don't forget Alice. Both for very different reasons. Yes. You don't forget <laughs> either one of them. But then there's all the ones in the middle where it's like, Ruth, Liza, Sarah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, woman, 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 woman. I looked it up and I, I apparently like Martha. Because in the barn dance, the girl that's in front, I was like, she's the best dancer. And then when they're doing the June Bride dance, I was like, she's still the best dancer. But the fact that I did not know her name and had to be like, okay, wait, fuck. who? Are, what? So yeah, I liked Martha for being the best dancer. Um, I could not, I don't remember anything about her personality, but she did stick out as the best dancer to me. Nice. So Martha's probably my favorite girl. Okay. Who's your favorite brother? I, oh, I had a memory too of this. I almost think that maybe you did see this and have forgotten it because I remember watching this at Kyle's apartment. So again, another Kyle and I apparently watched this. (laughs) We're watching it at his apartment when he used to live on diversity. Do you remember that place? Yes. And we were playing the boyfriend game of who would be your boyfriend. And since I knew who was hot, I immediately called dibs on Benjamin. On Benjamin, obviously. And I don't remember if you were there, but I feel like you got the yellow shirt. Who's the yellow? Is that the weird mustache guy? (laughs) You got the weird mustache guy. No, he's the worst. Or you got Frank, maybe? Frankincense? (laughs) Pass. Who would you choose? Who's the, who's Benjamin, obviously. (laughs) If, If he's good enough for Catwoman, he's good enough for me. Although I will say, I mean, the youngest one, what's his name? Gillian? Gideon. Gillifrey Gideon. He's pretty pretty cute. So like, (laughs) I feel like that wouldn't be a bad life. Like in that day and age. You know what I mean? Like I just, I'd be the boss and that's, that's okay. I also might choose Ephraim. Ephraim? How are they saying it? They were saying it weird. They weren't saying it how we say it today. They were saying it really weird. They were like Ephraim, Ephraim. Ephraim. It might've been Ephraim. Ephraim. That sounds like an 1850s name. That's um, Jacques D'Ambois, and they borrowed him from the New York City Ballet, and it was a whole big deal, and then they, like, don't use him at all. They don't have him do anything, pretty much. He, like, jumps a roof one time, and that's it. But uh, I feel like Kyle chose him as his partner. He likes him limber. Yeah, um, and I remembered that. He's also in Carousel. He's in, like, the, the Dream Ballet in Carousel. Nice. That dancer, that actor. So I feel like Kyle's decision came from more than one. Which brother was the one that did the axe ballet because he that's yellow that was that's a magical moment well maybe he maybe he is mine then because i literally wrote down what did i say i said axe dance is a thing of beauty that's what i literally wrote it's true the axe ballet is beautiful it is a thing of beauty yeah solo axe ballet i mean that was that whole montage that was like a very like modernistic so it's one shot the soulful act solo gets me is what i wrote yep and that's the yellow shirt man maybe he is my guy uh i wrote down the lyrics to the song because i think they need repeating um here are some of the lyrics for the viewers at home so this song it's the polecat song the lonesome polecat song it was written for this movie because Michael Kidd, the choreographer, who we have not even gotten to yet. Michael Kidd is this amazing choreographer. He choreographed Guys and Dolls. He's won five Tonys. He's prolific. Like, fantastic choreographer. So he choreographed this. And this came about because he had this vision and this idea. So he went to the songwriters, Johnny Mercer, and I forget the other two guys, uh, and was like, hey, uh, so we need a like an axe dance like for when they need to be like grieving. 
and like sad that they've lost their ladies because I have this idea for an axe dance. And how best to express deep depression than with axes in slow motion. Yeah. And then I'm a lonesome polecat. The lyrics I wrote down were, um, can't make no vows to a herd of cows. I wrote that one down too. As I, then I put best quote ever. I mean, it's true on many levels. Yeah. And there's the even better quote, a man can't sleep when he sleeps with sheep. That's true. I wouldn't sleep with a guy who sleeps with sheep. That's gross. It's totally gross. Zoe, thank you for appreciating this moment. Thank you. This is how I know we are friends. The fact that you also appreciate this on such a deep soul level. I oh mean, my God. I, I also love, I mean, it's first of all, it's winter. Clearly everyone is suffering from clinical depression. And let's just take stock that since at this point, since Millie came, the homestead has fallen into ruin because Adam is gone. And apparently he couldn't leave for like six months beforehand before he met her because he had so much to do. But now we can just fucking leave for months and be fine. And they were all so busy doing dance lessons and learning new vocabulary and learning gymnastic routines that no one did work. So the entire homestead is in ruin. And they're all doing their work at one-fifth the speed, clearly, because of clinical depression. So since Millie came, she has brought nothing but despair. And this is what this scene encapsulates. It's what like the axe dance is beautiful. She brought knowledge to them. And since they were animals, they don't know how to deal with like knowledge and feelings now. There you go. But yeah, the axe dance is stunning. And I don't know if you noticed this, because I did not notice this my first time watching it. It's one shot. It's all done in one shot. Now I want to watch it again. When you watch it again, this is what you're going to notice because you're going to get scared too. Even though I know it's going to be okay and they're going to accomplish this take, I keep getting scared for the non-dancer and like he's going to fuck it up and all the dancers are going to have to start over again because that one non-dancer is ruining everything. I bet he was so scared. I bet he was so scared. He's like, you want me to dance? And they're like, yep, sorry. This is the one you're going to have to dance to. And he's like, oh, I guess I'll try. They're like, oh, by the way, it's going to be with an axe. And he's like, for real, guys? I don't dance, and you're going to ask me to, to dance with an axe? And it has to get done on this beat, exactly? That is a bold move. Oh, and you'll notice that there's one moment when what's-his-face is behind on the rhythm. Not the non-dancer, but the guy that's good at dancing, he kind of gets the chip thing in slowly off the beat, but they were like, it's good enough, it's good enough. One take, we've got it. I was like, what is he doing? Oh, well. <laughs> yep, because you're like, oh, that was kind of, oh, whatever, it's fine, it's fine. One take, you're all good. But that makes that one-man dance solo even more impressive. His spins with the axe were balletic and gorgeous. I mean, it is just like this ode to just depression and seasonal affective disorder, all of that. Also, it must have been October when that snow hit. And I'm like, is this a real thing? This weather seems terrible. Is it really snowing from October to June, as you imply? You picked a terrible place for your homestead. More bad decisions from Adam. Adam is the worst. Adam is the worst. Like, you, how do you even harvest anything? It's winter all the time. You're right. It's winter all the time. He's got this abundance of confidence. Where did he get that from? Right? I don't know. Being white being, male. Being a white That's male. That's how. Who feels like he has to boss his brothers around and show them what it means to be a boss. But they learn another way. They learn another way. Yes. Toxic masculinity is squished by also some toxic masculinity. Remember how they didn't learn the lesson about consent and then they became better oh, people, yeah. but then again at the end also did not learn the lesson of consent once more. Right. But it worked out in their favor. I'm, and then there was that like fun little 
little scene where it's like, oh, there looks like they're being raped in front of their dads. Ha, buddy, ha, ha. When Dorcas is like, yeah, oh, don't touch me. And then she goes, pa, <laughs> that killed me. I love Dorcas. I love Dorcas so much. <laughs> She's like writhing. This is my moment. Yeah, it's a very sexual moment. But yeah, that's so fucked up how the how the fathers all come and think their daughters are like being raped as they're pulling up. And the only way everyone is saved is by saying that a baby who is not theirs is theirs. When has that ever happened? I love how clearly no one in this movie understands how babies work. Because first when Millie comes in, it's like, I'm pregnant. And they're like, when is it coming? It's like, She's not showing. She's still the size of a toothpick. How about nine months from now? Do you know the months? Do you know when that would be? Yes, spring. Good job. Yes, good job. And then at the end, there's one baby, one baby, and all the girls are like, I am Spartacus. Like, the baby is mine. All of them. So the preacher's like, sure, all of you collectively gave birth to this one baby because I don't know how babies are made. Well, and the amount of time, if they're there from November to June, that's seven months. So I was like, can you all count? No one understands months or time or how long babies take or that not only one person has a baby, like two women can't collectively produce one baby. Well, I think it's also that since no one's going to say it's not theirs, they all have to get married. It's like the, they're parent trapping. So they're, I am Spartacusing and they're parent trapping, right? So like, we're not going to tell you which twin is which. We're not going to let you switch us back <laughs> until you go on this trip with us. So that's almost, <laughs> so maybe they do know it's just one baby, but they're all the girls, they're in a parent trap pact. The fact that you tied this to I am Spartacus just tickles me pink. Thank you. We need to discuss the barn raising dance because it is my, probably my top five favorite dances on film ever. It was, I mean, I was like, this movie is kind of nuts. And then this happened and I was like, I, I enjoy this. Yeah. I thoroughly am enjoying this number. Yeah. It's, it's insane. You can't believe what they're doing with their bodies. And yeah. When the men show the idea, the creativity behind. Okay, so think about this. Some person had to go to a studio and be like, okay, these giant, handsome lumberjacks break out and dance, right? They had to make that like a passable thing. And the idea of doing this dance where they're showing off how manly they are in form of dance is so wonderful. It's a beautiful thing. I love it so much. And it's hard. What they're doing is very physically difficult and demanding. Incredibly hard. When Russ Tamlin does a backflip on the boards and doesn't die. Oh my God. All the flips. I love how they now have invented like a handshake duel, which is like a new thing. That was glorious. So dangerous. The handshake duel on the two boards. And then they start doing flips on the boards. I'm like, dude, if you land wrong. That hurts. So this is like high stakes. I love the things they came up with. Because to me, that wasn't a handshake. That was like, we're trying to handshake, but then it was like arm wrestling, but we don't know what arm wrestling is because it hasn't been invented yet. And then uh, the things that they came up with, like, what are some manly things that will impress people? Ah, running on a cylinder. Who can run on this cylinder faster and not fall off? Oh, there's a pole here. Who can jump over an axe on a pole? Like, and then throw the axe and it lands perfectly in the wood. Yeah, I love these manly things they came up with. Also, since we're on the subject of the barn raising as an entire scene, as I have to point out every wrong decision that Adam makes, because every decision he makes is a poor one. Shouldn't he be the one 
to realize that the farm that he owns and runs would need a cow? Like, Millie's like, hey, fucker, we, we need that cow for the farm that you are running. He's like, oh, do we? Like, yes, you should have realized that you need more livestock. Millie's been there like a minute and she knows more than you. I, I had never realized that Adam was incompetent because he has all this confidence. So you assume that he's very good at running his farm, but just runs it in a way where it's like, I'm good at the farm, but not at the personal stuff. But now that you're saying it, I'm like, oh, maybe he's really terrible at running his farm. Why do you think Millie was so afraid when Benjamin said he was leaving? It's like, you you keep this place together. Don't go. This is We're all going to die. You're right. They survived the whole winter without him. He goes to his little cabin in the woods that's stocked up. Also, he has the most sensitive ego ever. The things she said to him were not that bad. And he was just like, <laughs> like you kidnapped women and that's not okay. And he's like, I don't want to don't want to do. I'm going to my cabin for six months. It's like, I thought you couldn't leave more than once every three months when you were in town getting a wife. Now, now your brothers are going in like every day when Melanie goes in for a sponge, they all go into town like it's nothing. That farm is not lasting. Well, and what I was thinking in the future is, so let's say they all settle there. Do they have to be careful every winter about that past? Because, okay, picture the future. They're all stuck there growing up together. I'm picturing this weird, like, incestuous, like, how are they going to get any socialization outside of that family in all those winter months? It's going to be a commune. It's not going to be pretty. They're all going to have webbed feet in like 25 years. Or they got the fuck out. Maybe those brothers did get the fuck out. Maybe Benjamin followed through and took Dorcas and escaped. Maybe. But I think they'll like it there. Or maybe they just figured out nature and how to make that pass bigger and not to have avalanches so they could go into They town. all like it there because they're all suffering from severe Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> they're never going to leave. Well, and they did mention how the brothers are, like, taller and hotter than anyone in town. And they did show us repeatedly through anti-Semitic imagery that the brothers were taller and hotter. So, so, um, maybe it's just they're, like, all, again, like, 18, 19, 20, and they're with these hot dudes that they liked already. I think it's funny how quick that turnaround is. Because there's the one scene where they're pissed at them and they're throwing shit at them, like, throwing the rocks with the snowballs. They poured the water out of the top floor. I'm like, is it burning tar? Oh, it's not. It's just water. But one scene later, it took only one scene for them to totally forgive those guys and fall in love with them. And then play musical chairs. Yes, thanks for bringing me. I did write down musical chairs. I was like, oh. Musical chairs. Yeah, playing musical chairs. What a game. <laughs> 1850. We don't have TV. Millie shall sing and we shall sit. Oh, Benjamin, you are out. Oh, no, it was Benjamin. It was Gideon. Oh, Gideon. Who ends up being the moral compass. He does. See, I mean, that little guy. I can see myself being happy with Gideon. Although Frank has concerned me because he seemed to have a lot of anger issues. Frank in the red shirt, a lot of oh, anger. Oh, yes. I mean, all of them do, but especially Especially him. him and his faces. He's the king of the face. When he did that arm wrestling and his angry face just tore me up inside. Business. He's so angry because he was named Frankincense, which, yeah. you know, I can under, I can get behind a little bit. That's yeah. a very unfortunate name. It's a very unfortunate name, but also like grow up. There's other things going on in the world besides your name. Frank you can own it. Also, I wrote down the whole reason this movie exists is the barn raising dance. I genuinely believe yes. that this, the only reason this movie is a thing is because of that dance. It's so perfect. 
It tells a story through a dance. It advances the plot through dance. And the dance is fun, and it shows, like, the movements, those big exaggerated movements of, like, what a barn dance would look like if it was a real, if they were, like, really doing it. You know what I mean? It's so, oh, it's so perfect. I just, I can't get over it. That was definitely the highlight of pure, like, movie enjoyment. That was a nice part of the movie for me. I just had a flashback. When I was growing up, they used to show this, like, mini little documentary between movies on TCM that Ron Howard would narrate. And it talked about why widescreen was so important, like, why watching movies in widescreen was so important. And it showed as examples Ben-Hur. And this was one of the examples, the barn raising dance from Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. And it showed what it looked like without widescreen, and it showed with widescreen, and you could see... The difference and that always stuck with me because from that point on I had never understood the difference and like 14 year old me went whoa I am now a widescreen purist yeah but uh, yeah so it's like you can't see all the brothers if you've got your short screen you need the widescreen how are you gonna see them hold those ladies up unless they just cut out sad Benjamin off the beat I mean well they give up pretty quickly when you see this, you think all the brothers are dancing, and then you realize after the first part and up till kind of the end, it's only a few of them at a time. That's how they figured that out. It's only like three of them taking turns, going in, going out, and then getting Jacques Dumbois from the New York City Ballet and then being like, sorry, just stand over there. Wear your green shirt. We know you're a good dancer. We don't want to hurt you. Stand there. We already talked about a little bit the rape of the Sabine women being like a through line from the middle to end of the film. I just really want it to be in that writer's room where they're like, hey guys, you know what's a really hilarious story that we should like mirror as much as possible? The rape of the Sabine women. And the other was like, I don't know. I mean, rape is a strong word. It's like, let's just call it Sabine women. That's fine. Let's make it, it's funny if it's Sabin, because Sabin and Sabine look alike. But it was actually a story that's based on a story. So there was a story called The Sabin Women that is this movie, apparently. Oh, wait, not the, not the classic? Not the classic Greek. So there's classic Greek mythology about the Sabine women, but this is based on a story called the Sabin women. And it was written by Stephen, Stephen Vincent Benet. So I imagine that this whole movie, the 1850 Oregon, all of it is that story. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, I didn't I thought they were mispronouncing Sabine women. And just leaving off the rape to like make it more palatable. And I'm like, guys, we know what you're doing. Plus they like really lean into it. Hardcore. The part that stuck with me this time, because a different part sticks with you each viewing, you know? One part that really stuck with me this time was when he's like, after they they had the babies, they stuck. Like the, the people came for them and they said, no, they didn't want to leave. There, there was a line that he's saying, I wish I had written it down, that implied that. And I just went, oh, wow. That's his big selling point. It's like, they're going to want to stay. If you have kids with them, they're going to want to stay. Right, because we'll just threaten to keep the kids if they leave. And they have to love their children. It's really a special film. When, um, when this movie is so fucked up, why do we like it so much is what I wrote. Because it's so fucked up. And yet I really <sighs> do love it. In the end, the feelings it gives me are coziness and community and I love the way everything looks. It's so pretty looking and the dancing. I mean, when if you stick enough dance numbers into anything, it's going to be an enjoyable experience, especially one with like such good dance numbers as this movie. And it has exceptionally good dance numbers. I mean, if you made Schindler's List into a musical and you put these kinds of dances in it, probably, probably, probably like better. it. 
That's it's actually good. You made a fair point, actually. Friday Night Movie. Yeah. yeah. It does, like, the cabin, homestead, like, nature, beautiful mountains. Like, that seems nice. When she's singing, thinking that she, like, she fell in love with a seemingly nice man who doesn't have brown hair, and she is in this beautiful garden talking about, I only have to care for one person on this beautiful piece of land that you have. And I'm like, that kind of sounds nice. It's probably better than the life you've already had. I get you, girl. And then it turns out that she's like a, a slave for seven people. But in that moment, I'm like, this is this seems like a nice place. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I get why eventually I'm glad they made her like okay with it before the boys went back into town. I'm glad they showed that she was okay in her situation because I don't think we would have been okay if she wasn't okay when she was like, the land really is beautiful. And I really do like you all as brothers. Right? And I want my independence and I want to like, I'm going to make this home better and I can ship these men up into shape. It's like, all right, yeah, get it girl. Make the best yeah. of the bad situation. It almost made it like a Hallmark movie in that way of like, I didn't know I wanted this thing, but it turned out great. Like, I'm a career woman from the city. I'm not supposed to love this beautiful country life. That's kind of how it felt for me. Yes, that's very accurate. That is very yeah. accurate. And all it really took was her taking their clothes and making them bacon. So, I mean, that's that tracks. Yeah. You can't be aggressive in a bedcloth. And she feeds you bacon. Although I love when she goes to get their underwear, Gideon doesn't know how to take his underwear off. And I'm like, hold on. You can't operate buttons. You're 18, hopefully, maybe 17. That's what I'm saying. Major brain damage has occurred. <laughs> How did he get them on? Have they just been on his whole life? Yes. As like a seven-year-old, they just put him in really big clothing for him to grow into, knowing there'd be issues. <laughs> so he couldn't take off his shirt. But then when Millie tries to force her way in to take their clothes, if you like look at her face at all, she's beaming and smiling and it's so funny to me because in my head, I'm just like, are you excited? Do you want to see them all naked? Do you want to strip search Benjamin? Is this what this is about? She was flirting pretty hard with them in that parlor scene. It was pretty intense. I was like, oh, she's really getting in there. Yeah. yeah. Please don't arouse them, please. Not, oh, although I don't want to start that narrative. Like, she is not in control of their arousal. They handled themselves just fine in that situation. They do. They do. Because it turns out they're all just dumb. That's really their only, like... They're dumb. They mirror the kind of person that takes charge. And while horrible Adam was taking charge, they were horrible people. And when Millie takes charge, they're all like, oh no, we can be nice, gentlemanly people because we're sheep. They sleep with sheep and they are sheep. So you just blew my mind with that. They mirror whoever is strong in front of them. So they need people like Millie. Whoa. No wonder Adam was so threatened. She's clearly a better leader. Yes, he didn't know they needed a cow. She gets everything done. Everything. P.S. When those brothers were then now officially happy with the women and they were like holding hands and like skipping tra-la-la through the daisies and that like little gem of a number, Millie was nowhere to be found. She is nine months pregnant doing all the work on the farm because no one's doing a goddamn thing. Adam's gone. Millie is like, I'm surrounded by idiots. I never saw it that way before, Zoe. Thank you. This is why we have people on. I do oh wrote the evil plot worked because the brothers were kind and really loved the girls. Men, please do not try this at home. I think, oh, that's why I was trying to reason why it worked. I was like, why did the evil plot work? Why is it okay in the end? Stockholm syndrome. Stockholm syndrome. And I, it's because they really do love the girls. 
but so adam did he he did two things that were smart in the whole movie one when one married, married millie told so three one married millie two when one of the brothers is like or when, when millie was talking to him, it's like they're just really sad they're really depressed they're grieving for their girls one of my favorite lines and he's like they're grieving for the girls they met he, they met them like once and i'm like that is true insight adam good job second good thing you've done the entire time third good thing that he did the entire movie was when millie was like i'm thinking of naming our daughter either hannah helgar or hepzibah and he's like let's go with hannah good call yeah hagar she's hannah hagar hepzibah which of these which which ones i can't yeah choose. i can't yeah they're all so equally awesome or maybe that was her manipulation because she knows what a fucking dummy he is. So she's like, if I say I want to name it Hannah, he's going to be like, no. So she had to be like, okay, what are two other terrible names that are not Hannah? Yes, exactly. Um, so there yeah. You go. Yeah, so good job, Adam. You but did three the good second things. thing you complimented on him, when he was like, you've known them for like a minute, he, which leads us to him reprising the song that she sang. So for one second, we're like, oh, maybe he has feelings and he can be in love. But then he also says... One woman is a lot like the next. Like, let these ones go. You get one woman, you get them. They're about the same. And back to being a dick. Yeah. In one shining moment. And then, nope, just kidding. And You're the worst. From her perspective, she was probably in that moment like, I'm pregnant. I think I'm pregnant. I love this man. Look, he's not such a monster. He's He listened to me. He's singing the song that I said. He listened. Oh, no. Oh, no. Just kidding. Just yeah kidding i should have picked benjamin god he i have so many adam quotes written down now when um gideon goes up to talk to him and gideon's like she's pregnant and he's like it's just one of her tricks to get me back because i'm so special and you're like oh my god adam and then when he's like it's a girl he goes it's a girl, a girl? she would have had known. a girl yeah of course she had a girl it's like i hate you so much you're lucky she had a girl. and he doesn't leave he still stays there for months but again which brings the question how fucking long is the winter there because in the song june bride they sing the months through so they sing november december they sing all the way to june so in theory they do know the months so they do know the months good for them and it's june and there's still all that snow and he stays out there longer how long is winter in oregon this is what we need answered because that seemed ridiculously long. It can't be June and there's still snow. And you know what, though? I'm realizing as we're talking. It all had to have happened at the end of June because they all wanted to be June brides. So maybe it wasn't that long that he waited at that cabin. Maybe it was only a couple days. All right. I'll take that. Yeah. If it's June and they all want to be June brides and they presumably get married in June at the end of the film. But still. It's a long time. How I do you harvest? buy it. June, July, August, September. That's it? That's all you can farm in? And they didn't do any work during any of those months. We don't know that. Maybe they did the work, but we didn't see it. Also, how did they stay alive in that barn? That's also what I want to know. This is true. So many questions. So many questions. I did write down that Adam does finally change his tune at the end of the film. I, well, I wrote when it applies to him. He is Mr. Wives and Daughters over here. Like, all of a sudden, he has a daughter. Right. It's like, well, if somebody abducted her then I probably would not have been happy. So I guess it was wrong. <laughs> good, you got there. You made it. Good job. You're a good person now. 
And they do have a great kiss. They do. Okay. They do. I mean, he's a handsome man. He's the worst, but he's a handsome man. He is a sexy man. I. It's funny because as a kid, I was so repulsed by him. I should say, the first time I saw this movie, I was... 11 or 12 and we watched it in choir class um whenever my teacher wanted to have a movie day she would show us classic movies so the movies that i saw in choir class for the first time were this movie seven brides for seven brothers i saw singing in the rain for the first time in that class i saw white christmas for the first time in that class it like really opened my eyes and gave me an education so thank you mrs peterson for showing classic movies on the days off but then at one point we got tired and I think she just showed us Amadeus a whole lot. I think that whenever she was sick, it was just Amadeus over and over again. I think something happened in her life and she's like, it's, I'm an Amadeus person now. There was no sign in the rain for these children. Life is a pit of sadness. Amadeus all the time. Also, um, Amadeus, the guy that played him, went to our school. Ta- is it Tom Hall? Yeah, he went to when my middle school used to be at high school. He went there. So I also weirdly think it was like a... You know, homage. She's like, please give funding to my school. I'm playing your movie. We loved Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, all of us kids. I mean, it's a hopping good time. Do you have anything you want to add? I mean, I think we hit on the major points. Adam's a monster. The boys are led by the strongest person because they have brain damage. Dorcas is awesome. Alice needs her own spinoff. Called Ask Alice. Yep. Oh, this movie also means a lot to me because I remember watching it with my grandma too. Like, I've got a lot of really nice memories associated with this movie, you know? Yeah, I hear that. Oh, we didn't talk about, well, we kind of mentioned Russ Tamlin. Russ Tamlin's in it. He's great. Love his comedic timing. He plays Gideon and he's riff in West Side Story. He's one of the only brothers that has a career outside of this. You know what I mean? He gets like really high billing at the end of the movie. Oh, really? I was kind of pissed at the brothers billing because they took them out of alphabetical order and mixed them all up. And I was like, you decided who was more important than the other. That's agents being like. Hilarity contest? Yeah. So he had a career. His daughter's Amber Tamplin, who's a famous person now. She's in Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants. Oh, nice. Oh, I found that quote. They acted angry and annoyed, but secretly they were overjoyed. That's from the sobbing women. Oh, Jesus. So, so <laughs> problematic. This movie just needs to come with a disclaimer. They gave the whole song to it, man. They leaned into it. They leaned hard into it, and then they incorporated the women being okay with it as part of, like... Yes. So, women, the women singing about June Bride, I now watch that and realize, like, how mentally fucked up this all is. But at the time, I was like, what a pretty number. Yes, a June wedding sounds lovely. I love it. Sign me up. Oh, God. Take them, Dan. Because I just like when he says that when they're arm wrestling. The handshake duel. Sometimes it was clearly shot in the day. <laughs> or they had weird lighting. And I was like, oh, oh, yeah. Because it was mostly on a set. And you could see so hard between what was set and what was real. And like the painted mountains in the background. Oh, I wrote John Mulaney looks like Russ Tamblyn. He's got a little John Mulaney vibe about him. I hear that. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, but I did love that when they first, when she meets them in the beginning and they're fighting, I really enjoyed the choreography of the fights. Even that, I was like, oh, you dancers, you fight good. Yeah, they do. So Jane Powell is a soprano and a very beautiful soprano. Clearly. 
And that movie she did with Jeanette McDonald, Three Daring Girls, the one where Kyle sent us that weird, stupid Robin song. Oh, yeah. like, what is this? Why is there no snow? This doesn't make sense. So many questions. So many questions. Apparently, Jeanette McDonald, the lead of that movie, who's also a beautiful soprano, and that was towards the end of her career, took her under her wing and like Aww. gave her guidance and was kind to her and shared things with her. And I thought, sweet, one lady soprano ushering in another lady soprano. Do you think they just like sang together all the time? It's like weird Robin songs together. I wish we could remember that song and sing it for the viewers at home, but we can't. I know. So we're made a mystery. Stay tuned for next episode. Where we only sing the Robin Subscribe and no more now. snow song. It's like, there's a Robin and it won't snow anymore. <laughs> like the weight. Um, also, she might have fallen in love. This is a side note. I really think she might have fallen in love with Adam because of his the way his hair was. He had such a good head of hair. And that could have just been it. If you're looking at the men's hair in town, they were all wearing hats. And their hair was probably not nice. And he was not wearing a hat. And his hair looked fierce. And so I strongly suspect that it was all about the hair. I'm telling you, she has an aversion towards brown-haired men. So her choices were limited. And he's like, not, not only do you have red hair, you have the best head of red hair I ever did see. And she's like, sold. Marry it right now. So this is the film that introduced me to Howard Keel. And Howard Keel, okay, so he gets his big break by Oscar Hammerstein hearing him in an understudy audition. He was uh, singing to be the understudy for, it was for Billy Bigelow, it was for Carousel. So on Broadway, Howard Keel is singing at an audition and Oscar Hammerstein hears and he's like, that, that voice. And he's hired on the spot just because of like his booming, beautiful voice. Um, And apparently he had a terrible upbringing, rough upbringing. (laughs) Moving on. Okay, cool. Okay. So he starts playing um, like all the film assholes. And I think that's why sometimes I don't like him very much because he's like, he's Billy Bigelow on stage and he sometimes subs for Curly too. So he was like the understudy for Carousel and for Oklahoma. They give him his big break um, playing Frank Butler in Annie Get Your Gun, who's like, we, you like by the end of the movie, but like chauvinist, overconfident, won't let a woman do anything better than him. Right? <laughs> Come on. Annie fucking Oakley. She's better than you. And then Showboat, same thing. Like he just keeps playing the same like pompous ass character every single time. And so that's why we have that Howard Keel like, uh, kind of feeling. Fucking Howard Keel. Always plays an overconfident pompous ass who sings good. Every uh, time. Maybe he was like a very gentle man. She liked working with him. Jane Powell liked working with him. That says something. They worked together after they both retired. They did like stage stuff together. Oh, that's cool. That means they like genuinely liked each other. They chose to work together. Apparently he liked this the best. This Seven Brides for Seven Brothers was his favorite movie that he was in apparently. Oh, well, no accounting for taste. I mean, it was great. Well, because it's probably the most ridiculous. And he didn't have to do that much if you think about it. Yeah, he had one song in the beginning and he reprised the other song that she sang. He didn't dance. Yeah, he coasted. Yeah, he pulled like a white man thing, coasted, gets the head credit. <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah. Good head of hair, coasting, done. But yeah, he plays this character so much. And he was in so many great movies. Showboat. I personally love Calamity Jane. A lot of people don't, but I do. Kiss Me Kate. Kiss Me Kate. And he, you know, played the pompous ass in that as well. The husband who's slightly controlling. That always tickled me the wrong way. Or that shouldn't use the word tickle. It always rubbed me the wrong way. That's the word we're looking for. Kiss me, Kate. It tickled me the wrong way. Tickled me the wrong way. It's like, hmm, how did it tickle you? Oh, I also wrote down that Elizabeth Taylor and Jane Powell were bridesmaids for each other. 
their Aww. respective weddings. Yeah. That's really sweet. They were really friends. But I remember in that interview, I feel like she said that they weren't actually that great of friends. They just both didn't have a lot of friends because they were Aww. in that like studio system, you know? Yeah. They were like the same age in the same class and were nice to each other. Isn't that sad? If you were not that good of friends with Elizabeth Taylor, I would not put her as a bridesmaid. <laughs> it's like 101. Come on. You're never going to look better than her. They were in a movie that lifted them both up. So I bet she was probably like, it's fine. They were in a movie that was like a date with Judy and J Jane Powell was the star and Elizabeth Taylor had a role that like made her sexy for the first time because she had been like a child star. So that was her first like I'm sexy-ish role. I think maybe she kind of felt like, well, I could carry that movie. So I bet I can carry my own wedding. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like Elizabeth Taylor wasn't on full display yet because it was their first weddings each. You know what I mean? Didn't happen again. <laughs> Not, not invited the second. Oh, God. Although they both were married a bunch. Jane Powell was married like five times. So cut from the same cloth. Oh, but her retirement stuff was basically like, so she retired basically at 28 from films because they were not casting her in anything but teenage roles. There was a quote about it. It said her career in films ended as she had outgrown her innocent girl next door image. And then I wrote in parentheses at fucking 28. But it sounded like she was cool with it because I think that had been the only existence she knew. And then when it was done, she's like, oh, I can breathe again. Like, I can live a normal life. Cool. Yeah. I wonder what she did for the rest of her years. Just, like, lived on residuals. Well, she was married a lot. That's true. how that turns out, you know? <laughs> well, didn't turn out for four of them. She did seem cool at the, the chat, though. Like, you know, some people aren't, like, with it. She was with it, you know? All right. I mean, she had a good life. I'm sure she had a good life. I think she probably had a good life. She seemed very nice-ish. I don't know. You never know with people. They could be monsters. We don't know anything. Right, exactly. So yeah, what we've learned from this movie, problematic, very problematic plot. Great dance numbers. Great dance numbers. Great dance numbers. Redheads make the best dancers. And Michael Kidd, the choreographer, who we haven't talked about a lot, but he's fine. We'll probably talk about him another time. Great choreographer. This is just me theorizing. I think he wanted to be more of a performer, but was never totally given enough stuff like he was in it's always fair weather he was that's about like three servicemen who come together after i forget how many years i think it's 10 years to meet up again for a day in new york and see where they're all at and he w got to be one of them but he was kind of a shorter man and i i wonder i wonder if he had aspirations to like be one of the seven brothers but like couldn't because he was short and had black hair and you know hate those dark-haired men Dark-haired short men, they don't like them. Dark-haired short right? men, nope, you were going to get killed by a barn. It's, thank you so much for watching this movie. My pleasure. I mean, I feel like there there's little gems and nuggets to be appreciated with multiple viewings. So my journey with the seven brides and the seven brothers has only just begun. Before we leave, I do a double feature thing. So it's like, what's the perfect movie to watch this movie with? Ooh. And so this was a tricky one. Normally there's a very obvious answer for each film. This one does not have an obvious answer because it has so many like different ties and it's such an unusual fucking weird beast of a movie. So what I kind of came up with is if you're going that Howard Keel route, you could watch the 1951 Showboat. That's similar to this. There you go. If you're going the Michael Kidd route, you could do Guys and Dolls. You want the big dance numbers. Mm -hmm. If you want the single woman surrounded by lots of men, you could do a Snow White. Okay. Oh, I see it. <gasps> you could do a Snow White double feature. Great call. Um, I wrote Meet Me in St. Louis because one, they came together in a DVD box set for me. So I always associate them together. But <laughs> They're both very nostalgic and they're both two musicals 
that are about like family and community and loving where you're from, but also could not hack it on a stage. They specifically worked on screen and they worked on screen better because not all of the songs translated well to stage. One of the other double features I would say is Calamity Jane. It's if you want that westerny old timey feeling, but then the woman is the one who has to change because she's too gung ho. That's a loaded thing to say. <laughs> I want to know what she's too gung-ho about. I love Calamity Jane so much. It's not a good movie, but I love it very, very much. It's with Doris Day. It was one of her first, like, big starring film roles. And she plays Calamity Jane. And she doesn't talks like this. And it's like... Great choice. Oh, my God. It's so good. And she's in love with Howard Keel. And he doesn't notice her. And I want to say he plays like a Frank Butler-esque person that's a famous person from the past that I can't remember the name of, like Buffalo Bill or like right. something like that. And she oh, she loves a guy named Danny. That's what it is. Oh, there's a love triangle. I forgot. There's a love triangle. There's this woman that comes to town that's pretending to be a famous performer, but she's not. But the town's like, we like you. You can stay. But then all the men end up falling in love with her. And Calamity Jane is sad. But Calamity Jane is a badass, and she's respected as a badass by all the people in town. Nice. And it's Doris Day, and that's where the song My Secret Love comes from. I don't know if you ever heard that. It's like a gay anthem. I probably do then. Yeah, it's like, once I had a secret love. That one. Oh, yeah. So it's from that movie, and I just, again, it's not a good film, but I enjoy it so much. And it's got some hits, like Whip Crack Away, great song. Anyway, that's, I recommend it. Okay, so there's that. And then I wrote Carousel, too, because also great musical numbers. Jacques Dambois. Those were my recommendations. Also problematic. Also very problematic. <laughs> when you have a line that goes, Mother, has anyone ever hit you, but it felt like a kiss. You've got issues in your show. Yeah, you need to work through that. Yeah. I think, I think we encapsulated both the essence and the joy and the problems that is Seven Brides of Seven Brothers. Also, I do want to close too with saying like, Jane Powell, way to crush it. She, I feel like she's the star of this film. It's called Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, but I feel like it should be called like Millie's Story. <laughs> no, that's not a great title. Millie whips him into shape. Yeah, cause she's, well, she's like physically gorgeous. She does not have to be as talented as she is. Not she too skinny. She beautifully. She can dance. She's great. Yeah. Props to Jane Powell in this film. That's my final. We learned valuable lessons. You can't sleep with sheep. That's an important lesson. There's so many things yeah. to gain. So we thank you so much. Thanks for, for joining You're welcome. Me. I loved being here from across Yay. the country. Yay. Bye. Bye.